So today we're talking about heartbreak in romantic relationships. Um, and we've had these two powerful songs. The first song is from a band called Fleetwood Mac. It was written in 1976. We've got a picture of them. That's back in the day, right? So it's written by Lindsey Buckingham uh, and Stevie Nicks. That they were dating, uh, and they broke up. And so he wrote this song, uh, and then they got to sing it together in the band. <laughs> They're all going to end up dating each other at some point anyway. But... Uh, uh, let's look at some of the lyrics from this, uh, this song. Loving you isn't the right thing to do. How can I ever change the things that I feel? If I could, baby, I'd give you my world, right? I want to give you everything, right? This is breaking my heart. But how can I when you won't take it from me? I want to give myself to you, but you don't want me anymore. It hurts. Tell me why everything turned around. Packing up, shacking up is all you want to do. He thought she was cheating on him, right, shacking up. But she says, I wasn't cheating on you. Take that lyric out of the song, but didn't. So then the chorus, you can go your own way, go your own way. You can call it another lonely day. You can go your own way, go your own way. You ever been there? I love it didn't work out. And you're just like, go your own way. It hurts. I'm rejected. Go. That's the song that we're singing how many years later, right? 1976, and we're still singing. They made millions of dollars because it touches us because we know what the pain of heartache feels like. Then Cole masterfully sang a song um, by Adele, uh, just this amazing singer. Uh, she wrote this in 2011, and she was in a long-term relationship with her boyfriend of 18 months. She thought he was the one that she was going to marry, and he broke up with her. And later he got engaged, and then she wrote this song. Let's look at some of the lyrics. I heard that you're settled down, that you found a girl, and you're married now. I heard that your dreams came true. Guess she gave you things that I didn't give to you. Pain. Old friend, why are you so shy? Ain't like you to hold back or to hide from the light. I hate to turn up out of the blue uninvited, but I couldn't stay away. I couldn't fight it. I had hoped you'd see my face and that you'd be reminded that for me, it isn't over. You've moved on. You've gotten married, but I'm still hung up on you. You know how the time flies. Only yesterday was the time of our lives. We were born and raised in a summer haze, bound by the surprise of glory days. Those days of infatuation and love when we were in that relationship. Nothing compares, no worries or cares, regrets and mistakes, their memories made. Who would have known how bittersweet this would taste? Never mind, I'll find someone like you. I wish nothing but the best for you too. Don't forget me, I beg. I remember that you said, sometimes it lasts in love, but sometimes it hurts instead. Sometimes it lasts in love, but sometimes it hurts instead. What's your experience with heartbreak? With rejection, maybe someone's cheated on you or left you. You thought they were the right one and you weren't their right one. What painful experiences have you dealt with for rejection or romantic breakups? Uh, in my life, uh, I've had several. <laughs> and so you might wonder, what's it like being a pastor dating people, right? That kind of thing. And then I wasn't always a pastor. But like most of my life, I was in like long-term relationships. I've been married to my wife, Laura, for 18 years, praise God. We've been together 19. We dated a year. I've been married 18 years, so grateful for that. 
When I was in high school, I dated a girl or a young lady for most of high school. And when I was in college, I also was in a long-term relationship. I dated the same woman for most of college. But in between all that were some really painful breakups. I think the shortest relationship that I was ever in was in the sixth grade. And that's when right, those relationships can be really, really intense. And so back in the sixth grade, uh, there was a girl that sat behind me in class. Her name was Denise Gumbinger. That's a very unique name. She's a little redheaded young lady, and I wrote her a note. I said, dear Denise, I just think you're awesome, right? And back in the sixth grade, when we wanted to be boyfriend and girlfriend, you'd ask them, will you go with me? And then if they said yes, then you were going together. That meant that you were dating boyfriend, girlfriend, and all of our parents used to make fun of us. Well, where are you going? You don't have a car, right? So <laughs> what is that? So anyway, I wrote, hey, Denise, I think you're awesome. Will you go with me? And I put a little box yes, a little box no, a little box maybe. You know, why do you put maybe boxes? I still don't know why we did it. I guess it's hope, right? It's not a total rejection. So folded it up, snuck it back to her, and I hear her open it up. She's writing on it. I'm like, okay, tick tock, tick tock, right? She passes the note back. I open it up, and to my delight, she checked the yes box. I'm like, I'm going with Denise, yes. So class goes on, and it was less than five minutes later, and she passes me a note. I'm like, wow, my new girlfriend's already passing me a note. It's going to be great. And she's like, dear Kyle, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm sorry. We're not going together anymore. <laughs> I didn't even have a chance to offend her, right? Maybe it's the back of my head she didn't like looking at. I don't know, right? So with the shortest relationship in my life, less than five minutes. Denise Gumbinger, if you're out there watching this anywhere in the world, thanks for the shortest relationship in my life. But... Uh, yeah, so it gets worse than that, right? So I was dating this girl, this young lady for uh, most all of high school, and I was a year older than her. So I went to college, she was still in high school, and shocker, shocker, the relationship does not survive, right? I'm in college, she's in high school, it just, it didn't work. So I started uh, dating this young lady in college who I really I had a thing for. We started going out, and I thought things were going well until one day she and one of my best friends, one of the guys that I hang out with in the hallway show up, and they said they need to talk to me. And that they didn't mean to, they didn't want to hurt my feelings, but now they like each other and they want to date each other. I'm like, okay, best friend, my girlfriend, together. And so I lost not one but two relationships that day. I lost her relationship and I just, I couldn't be his friend anymore. Right? I just felt betrayed and stabbed in the back. I know you can't help who you love, but that hurt. Um, later we made up, right? They got married after college. They had a family. And they're still together, and, and life's going well, and it's awesome. But that's, that one hurt. That's a betrayal. And, you know, honestly, after we graduated from college and they got married, I saw them again later, and I noticed that he put on a little weight and was prematurely balding, and I wasn't sad about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over it now, obviously. Uh, so... Then I started dating this young lady in college. For the rest of all of college, we dated together. And again, um, getting ready to graduate from college, I was one year older than her and going to divinity school to learn how to be a pastor. And she let me know that she loved me, but that she didn't want to be married to a pastor. And so that relationship ended, right? So pain, right? I love this quote from 16 Candles. Um, that's why they call it crushes. If they were easy, they'd call them something else, right? We, we fall in love with someone. We have a crush on them, and we just can't stop thinking about them. Then at the end of the relationship, if it doesn't work out, we feel crushed because it hurts. It hurts that someone that we care about says, no, I don't love you anymore. No, I don't want to be with you anymore. Rejection, it hurts so bad. 
so we wrestle with that. You know, in hindsight now that I'm older and I have some wisdom and a lot of time between all these relationships, I can look back on those relationships and actually be grateful for them as they were a part of my life, a season in my life, that God gave me the relationship in high school with this young woman. That, that was a great time. I had a relationship with this woman in college that was a great time. And so I can look back and I can look at the positive things that happened in those relationships and I can be grateful for them. And it took me a long time to be able to figure that out, to look back and to, and to be glad, right? In the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, it says there's a season for about everything. So there are seasons in our life where people come into our lives and they go out of our lives. And so let's be grateful for the season that we've had with them. And also, I realized that God is more wise than I am. Like when I was dating the, the woman in high school, dating the woman in college, I used to pray, God... I'm so in love with this person. If it's in your will, please let us stay together and let me marry them. It didn't work out. Right? That was a prayer that I didn't get a yes to. And I think the, the women themselves had their own freedom of choice to say no. And I didn't ask them in person for that. But anyway, I was asking God for that. But if God had granted that, then I, there would be no Kyle and Laura. There would be no Luke sitting right here. There would be no Nathan downstairs in Explorer's ministry, right? And so in hindsight, sometimes those breakups that are so painful can lead to something even better than we imagine. But sometimes they just hurt, and it's just painful. Uh, and that's where we get this good news from Jesus um, in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Remember, crush. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you're brokenhearted today or you're crushed in spirit, especially with a romantic relationship, know that you're not alone. That most everybody in the world is going to go through this. And that God is with you and that God loves you. And that something good is going to be on the other side of this. Right? So know that God is God. Jesus himself understands heartbreak. People reject him all the time. Every day someone rejects Jesus. So he understands that and we can, we can turn to him uh, in the midst of all of this. Uh, so let's look then, for those of us who are interested in romantic relationships, I think you know one of the questions is, does God see everyone in the world ending up in a romantic relationship or ending up getting married? Is there one soulmate only for me somewhere in the world and they're looking for me and I'm looking for them? Like, is it destined that we're going to find the right person? Right? What does the Bible teach us about romantic relationships? Uh, it's going to give us some good advice, but I'll warn you, unfortunately, it's complicated and it's not very easy. So let's see what some of Scripture teaches us. This is from the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, where God's creating the universe, God's creating the world, and God's creating people. And it says, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man, Adam, to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him, Adam and Eve, the first humans. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Right? We're, there's a big part of people being in romantic relationships, coming together to love each other, to start families, and to populate the world, and all that kind of good stuff. So we see that from the very beginning. Uh, we see this verse from Ecclesiastes. I've used this in some of your uh, weddings. I've got using one coming up, Preston and Lauren, who are here today. Uh, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? 
Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. When I use this in a wedding sermon, right, two are better than one, the two cords are stronger than one, uh, and a cord of three strands, when you add God into the equation, uh, the two that are getting married and God into the equation, then that is a bond that is not easily broken, right? So from the book of Ecclesiastes, I think this is a pretty neat passage of Scripture. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, this is the whole book in the Bible. It's called the Song of Songs. Uh, some places it's called the Song of Solomon. Um, this is a book that's about romantic love and sex in marriage. And that sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed in the bonds of marriage. And like when I was a teenager and found out there's a book about sex in the Bible, I'd be like sitting in the back of the Bible, you know, the pew, you know, go, right? And so uh, it's this beautiful book about marriage and love and sex and all kinds of stuff. And so write in your Bible. And so uh, it's a powerful uh, expression of faith. Uh, but then we get this from Paul, right? Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, started all, most of all the churches in the early church, and he's writing to the Corinthians, and this is what Paul has to say. Now, to those of you who are not married, to those of you who are widows who've lost a spouse, right? That's another question, right? When we lose a spouse, do we ever remarry or not? Right? I think it's, it's okay to do either, either or. Um, but Paul says it's good for them to stay unmarried, right? To those who are not married, as I am, right? Paul was single. Uh, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. What Paul means here is like, if you're attracted to someone, and it could be the one, and you, you can't control your sexual urges, then get married, is what Paul is saying, right? Because sex is designed for marriage. But Paul says, I don't need to be married. I don't feel called to be married. And some people might not be called to be married, and that's okay. Um, and Paul believed Jesus was coming back pretty soon, but I think either way, I think Paul was devoted to God. Um, and so Paul says, you know what? Some people, marriage works. Some people, it doesn't, and that's absolutely okay. Uh, so we see that. When we get to Jesus, right, the, it, Jesus clearly supports marriage. He kind of reinforces this stuff in Genesis that we read about. His first miracle is done at a wedding uh, where he turns the water into wine, Places in the Bible say that the relationship between God and the church is kind of like a marriage, uh, husband and wife kind of thing. So there's a lot of stuff there from Jesus. Um, but we don't see in the Bible anywhere that Jesus was in a romantic relationship. I know there's been movies and books that say he and Mary Magdalene got together. I don't think that's true. Uh, that's just making stuff up, right? So we don't know, right? It doesn't say whether Jesus did it. I, I would think that if Jesus was in a relationship, romantically or got married or had kids, that would be important. That would be in Scripture. Uh, but who knows? So we don't see Jesus actually living that out, but he fully supports marriage. He also fully supports people who are single. So interesting ways to look. So I guess at the end of the day, does God expect or think or want everyone in the world to be married, to be in a romantic relationship? I would say I don't know. I think it's going to be unique for the person. For some people, uh, we're going to find happiness in romantic relationships, happiness in marriage, and for others, we're going to find happiness in being single. And so however that works, I think that's between us and God, and we can keep going back to these scriptures. Now, the good news is that in the Bible, it teaches us that the most important thing in life are relationships. Some of those are romantic, some of them are family, some of them are friends, some of them are people that we live near, right? God said the, most, the two most important things in the world are loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. 
So we can love in romantic relationships, but we can also love in relationships that are not romantic, right? Brother and sister, best friends, colleagues at work, right? The good news is we are created to be in relationships together, and there are all kinds of relationships that we can find love in, where we have two or three that are better than one, right? That Ecclesiastes passage doesn't have to be romantic. It might not even have been romantic in the beginning, right? So relationships are for all of us, and within that, some of them will be romantic, and some of them will not be romantic in what we're doing. Uh, and so I, I think that's that's healthy. Um, but one thing I want to share, I think this is a really good, really good premise here, is that your worth is not determined by your relationship status. You know, a lot of us feel that if we're not dating someone, we're not married to someone, that we're second-class citizen. We're there's something wrong with us. There's something broken with us. That's not true at all, right? So I really want you to hear this. Your worth is not determined by your relationship status. Whether you're single or divorced or married or widowed, your worth is not determined by your relationship status. Your worth is determined because by God. You, we've talked a couple weeks ago about how you're created in the image of God. Right? That's where your worth comes from. So I'd like you to say with me out loud and put yourself in this, my worth is not determined by my relationship status, right? Will you say that with me? My worth is not determined by my relationship status, okay? Please don't forget that. Your worth comes from being created in the image of God and that you can be a child of God when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right? That's where your worth, that's where our worth comes from. Now, if we are in a relationship romantically, if we are married, if we're dating someone, there are some biblical things that we can draw from. And I could make a whole series or we could talk a whole year about this. I'm just going to go through this quickly. Uh, I'm going to list some things that the Bible teaches us. There's some biblical references. If you want to look these up, you might want to take a picture of these or you can come back and watch the sermon later. It's going to be online. Uh, But these are some things that we learn about romantic relationships in the Bible. One uh, is that romantic love is a gift from God. Okay? It's a gift from God. Uh, we see that in Genesis. We see that in Matthew, Old and New Testament. Uh, let's look at the next one. Uh, the Bible asks us to be equally yoked with another Jesus follower. If we're dating someone, if we're marrying someone, it's important to God that we're looking for another follower of Jesus, another Christian. Um, because what we believe and who we serve in, as a Lord and Savior, it's the foundation of who we are. It's very important. And so in Scripture, it really encourages us to date or to marry people who have a similar faith, right? Belief in Jesus. Um, Bible is very clear that sex is only created for marriage. It is a great gift from God, but it's only to be in marriage, right? Old Testament, New Testament, lots more stuff about this. Our culture does the exact opposite of this. Right? You can have sex with whoever, whatever, whenever you want, right? But it says that the two become one flesh. And that means that there's something spiritual more than just the physical part of sex. So that sex is a gift from God, right? The whole book about, right? Song of Solomon about marriage and sex. We are created for that in marriage, right? Please, 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 please take that seriously. Um, Self-sacrifice and mutual submission, right? One person doesn't dominate the other. It's not just about me getting my needs met. I need to look at the needs Uh, of the person that I'm dating or that I'm married to. Very important. Paul teaches us that. Um, This is a hard one. Jesus is not a fan of divorce, but he does love divorced people, right? 
God really wants us to stay together if at all possible. Uh, and Malachi even says God hates divorce, but God doesn't hate divorced people, right? God's not a fan of divorce, but he loves divorced people. Um, I think sometimes people give up too soon. I think that's what, what God's teaching. But I also have married people who've been divorced, and those marriages have worked out really well. And in those cases, that divorce needed to happen. And some of you are sitting in this room that I've done that for, right? And so we see how God works through that. And so God's not immediately a fan of divorce, but God loves divorced people and remarriage can work out and be a huge blessing, right? There's just a lot of pain to get to that point, right? So no one feels judged at all about any of this, whether you've had sex before, whether you've got divorced before. God loves you, right? You are creating God's image. These are just some things that God wants us to think and to pray and to talk about. Um, love is a choice and an action. A lot of times in our culture, love is described as a feeling, which it is, right? We feel good about the people that we're in love with. But I want you to think about someone that you love and think about some time when they made you super mad, right? They've done something that made you angry. At that point in time, you're probably not feeling warm and fuzzy feelings for them. <laughs> you probably want to throttle them, right? So, but you haven't stopped loving them, right? So love is more than a feeling. You can be mad at somebody and still love them. You can be disappointed at somebody and still love them. All that kind of stuff. But in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about how love is a choice, it's an action. And this is not a romantic chapter, but it does apply to romance. Paul says we choose love. It's what we do. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not arrogant or rude or boastful. It doesn't insist on its own way, right? It rejoices in the truth, right? So... Love is how we treat each other. It's what we do. It's all those things that Paul unpacks in 1 Corinthians 13. Right? It, it's a choice. It's what we choose. Like every day that you wake up, you've got to choose to love your kids. You've got to choose to love your spouse. You've got to choose to love your friend. Right? And that's in your actions. But I've found like, if you love someone in your actions, that your feelings reflect that. Right? So our feelings follow, I think, our actions in life. And so this next one is not a biblical thing, but I think it follows from Paul. That happily ever after is not a fairy tale, it's a choice. Right? When, you, when you see people who've been married for 30, 40, 50 years, 60, 70 years, and they tell you they've never had a crossword in their life, they're liars. <laughs> Sorry if you've ever said that to me. I'm calling you a liar, but it's, it's true. Right? It's hard sometimes to be in relationships, any relationship. right? Uh, and so if you want that relationship to work, you have to choose for it to work. You have to forgive. You have to ask for forgiveness. You have to make a choice to love someone even when you don't feel like doing it that day, right? Now, that is good biblical wisdom that Paul gives to us. And that applies to any relationship at all, any relationship at all. So you might have seen the new movie, uh, Top Gun Maverick. It's got Tom Cruise in it, right? Pretty good, pretty good. It's, uh, it's a sequel to the first Top Gun movie uh, that was made in 1986. Can you believe that? I was in high school in 1986, right? And so it's got some nostalgia in the movie, but it's got a lot of new stuff. Um, so P Tom Cruise did that movie. In 1996, Tom Cruise did a movie called Jerry Maguire. Anybody ever see that? Right, so he's this hotshot, uh, uh, I guess he's a sports agent or whatever, and this is his girlfriend, Renee Zellweger. And in the movie, they have a fight. It looks like their relationship's over. At the end of the movie, he's trying to win her heart back. And so she's with her, all of her girlfriends. And, and that's the only way she's going to allow him to talk to her is in front of all her girlfriends. And so he goes in and he says to her, I'm so sorry I was wrong. And, 
And then he says this, 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 this line, right, that people just remember and love about this movie. He says to her, you know, please take me back. You know, I'm lost without you. You complete me, right? You complete me. And then she says, you had me at hello when you came in, right? He's, all the girlfriends are crying and they're getting together and all the Kleenex is coming out in the theater at home when you're watching this and all the, you know, women are saying, I wish you'd say something like to me, honey, you know, all that kind of stuff. You just feel terrible about that. And, you know, it's just this romantic movie. Um, it's special and all this kind of stuff, but I've got to call it out for what it is. It's a lie. It's a flat-out lie, right? And I'm not kidding. This is a myth, right? We do not complete each other. We do not complete each other. Right? A lot of us believe that, right? I'm half empty. Another person's half empty. We get together, and we become whole. That could not be further from the truth than anything. We do not complete each other, right? Healthy relationships, not two half-empty people, right? It's two whole people who come together to share a life, right? In psychology and counseling, Two half-empty people looking to someone else to complete you is called codependency. You ever heard of that? Here's a definition for us. It's a circular relationship in which one person needs the other person who in turn needs to be needed. I need to be taken care of. i got to take care of someone. We come together, right? Um, the codependent person known as the giver feels worthless unless they are needed by and making sacrifices for the enabler, otherwise known as the taker, right? This is classic codependency. And it is prevalent in millions of relationships in the world. And there's good in those relationships, don't get me wrong, but they are unhealthy relationships. And these relationships will be full of pain. And many of these relationships will end up in addiction, right? That's where a, a lot of addicts to drugs and alcohol are codependent. Right? It's, it's really challenging. Because here's the problem. When you're looking to another person to complete you, it's impossible. The pressure is too much to bear. Right? No one can complete another person. It's, the expectation is false from the very beginning. You're asking too much of someone else to be able to do that. That's why it fails. Right? And, and this scripture that I want to read to you now shows you why it really fails. Because we're not created to be in codependent relationships. Look at this. This is from Paul again, this time to the Colossians. He's talking about people who found Jesus. He says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into Jesus and let your lives be built on him. Let your lives be built on Jesus. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking, i.e., you complete me, right? I'm putting that in here. And from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. All right, next verse, this is where we are. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are complete through your union in Christ. The only thing that will complete us is Jesus. The only thing that will complete us is Jesus, right? That feeling inside of us that there's something missing, that feeling inside of us that there's, we're not whole, the only thing that plugs that up is Jesus. And where we get it wrong is where we look to someone else to make me whole. We look to a job to make me feel whole. We look to a house or a possession to make me whole. We, we look to our job to make us whole. And all of those things are good in life. 
but they do not complete us. And when we look for those things to complete us, we're trying to substitute them for God. The Bible calls that idolatry, and that is wrong. I mean, when you're looking to someone to complete you, you're looking for someone to play God. And none of us can be God. None of us can be God. And listen to this. It's not just in romantic relationships. It's in every other relationship. Some of us think, my child completes me. My best friend completes me. Right? My sister, my brother complete me. When we do that, we do it out of good intent, but we're trying to make someone into God, and no one can be God but God. Right? So what's the point today? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway? This is what I think it is. Two halves do not make a whole relationship. It takes two whole people. Two half-empty people don't make a whole relationship. They make an unhealthy relationship. It takes two whole people to be in a relationship. The only relationship that will complete me is one with Christ. The only relationship that will complete me is one with Christ. When we are right with Christ, then we can be in healthy relationships with other people. We can share our lives with them. We're not looking to them to play God. Right? Will you say this out loud with me? The only relationship that will complete me is one with Christ. So a few action steps that I invite you to think about taking, right? We always want to hear the Word of God, but we want it to apply to our lives, something we can do with that, right? So this week, I'll just say, be made whole in Jesus. If you don't have that relationship to Jesus, say, God, there's something missing in my life, and evidently it's you, right? I need you to come and live in me. I need you to come and be my Lord and Savior. I want you to, to fill me up, Lord, right? We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute, right? Be made whole in Jesus. And then bring your wholeness to your relationships, right? So I'm whole in Jesus, and I share my life with Laura. I'm whole in Jesus, I share my life with Luke. I'm whole with Jesus, I share my life with Nathan, right? We've got those two strands of those relationships. It's Laura, me, and then you had the third strand of Jesus, right? Kyle, Jesus, Laura. Kyle, Jesus, Luke. Kyle, Jesus, Nathan. Right? Apply your wholeness in your relationships, right? Bring your wholeness to the relationship. Right. And those of us who've been hurt in love, these are some things maybe we can think about doing. Grieve the relationship. Right? If you've been hurt, you've been broken up with, they ripped your heart out of your chest and jumped up and down on it, right? it's okay to grieve that, miss that. Right? We're human. Give yourself a break. Grieve the relationship. Right? Sing some of these songs out loud uh, that we sang today. Right? And maybe at some point celebrate the good that, that from that ended or seasonal relationship. I loved and I lost, but at least I loved, right? What were the good things in that relationship that I can be grateful for, right? And then to pursue godly relationships with everyone, romantically, in your family, all that kind of stuff with friends, right? Two half-empty people do not make a whole relationship. Two whole people in Jesus make a relationship. The only person that can complete us is Jesus. And so today, I want to invite you to open yourself to Jesus. And we're going to do that by celebrating the gift of Holy Communion today. So if you would take out the communion packet that you were handed, if you're watching online or down in our traditional service, if you'll get your packets out, we're all going to do communion together today. If you need one, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will, will bring them to you. 
But receiving Holy Communion is a way of opening ourselves to God, inviting God in to say, I, I need you to be in me. I need you to, to make me feel whole, God. And so today we remember that the last time that Jesus was with his disciples, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. As often as you do this, remember me. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and drink. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many so that your sins may be forgiven. As often as you do this, remember me. Because Jesus died on a cross and he came back to life so that you and I can be forgiven of the wrong things that we do. The guilt and the shame that we carry around can be taken away from us and it can be replaced with joy and peace and life that is full now and forever in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus loved you so much. He wanted you to be full of, of, of him and the Holy Spirit so much that he died and he came back to life. I don't know about you, but there are not many people in my life that are going to line up to die for me, right? But Jesus did. And he came back to life. So that, that emptiness that we feel inside, that hole in our heart, that hole in our soul, that, that thing that's missing is, is Jesus saying, it's me. I want to live in you. I, I want to fill that up. I want you to, to live a life with me. And it takes a decision for us to say, God, I'm sorry for living a life without you. I want to stop that. I want you to come and live in me. Please forgive me, God, and, and come and live inside of me. And he will do that. He'll do that today. But then we have to nurture that, right? We've got to keep coming to worship and reading our scripture, reading the Bible, studying that, praying, talking to God, listening to God, serving God. These are ways that we open ourselves to God. And receiving communion today is a way that we open ourselves to God. So will you pray with me about that? Dear God, we are empty without you. We try to fill ourselves up, God, with good things, with relationships with other people, with our jobs, Lord, with, with the really cool and neat stuff that we can buy. Uh, lots of things, God, we look to. and In themselves, there's nothing wrong with that. But when we try to make them into you, that's the problem. And, and they leave us, Lord, wanting more. And so today, God, we want something that will fill us in our hearts and in our souls. And so today, God, we, we surrender to you, maybe for the first time, maybe uh, for the second time or a, another time in our lives, God. And uh, we're sorry that we've gone, our own, we've gone our own way, Lord, without you. And we ask that you come and forgive us and live in our hearts. God, just please now hear our silent uh, confessions to you of things that we've done against you or against other people or relationships, God, that we're struggling with and that we need your help right now. Maybe it's a, a broken heart, Lord, like in the book of Psalms, that we are crushed and we just, we need your love and care. God, just hear from us as we now speak silently to you the things that are in our hearts right now. Thank you, God, for loving us. We ask that you would take our bread or whatever it is that we're eating today and make it symbolically the body of Jesus broken for us. And that you would take our grape juice or whatever we're drinking today, God, and let it be symbolically the blood of Jesus shed for us. Fill us, God. Fill our hearts and help us to have whole relationships that we share with the people in our lives. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. So now if you're at home, if you want to grab something to eat, uh, something to drink, uh, we'll, we'll allow you to do that. Those of you who are in the room here or downstairs, we just invite you to open up your communion packet and take out your bread. 
and know that this is symbolically the body of Jesus broken for you and that when we eat of it, we're asking Jesus to fill us. May we do so together. If you'll take what you have to drink and know that symbolically this is the blood of Jesus shed for us to fill us in our hearts and our souls. Let us pray again. Thank you, God, for filling us and coming into our hearts right now. May we always know of your presence, God, even through hard times as well as good. Help us to nurture, Lord, our relationship through worship and scripture and prayer and any other way that we can. But God, thank you so much for making us whole. Help us take our wholeness in our relationships wherever we find them. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.